Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, so three, three, two, one, clap. Hopefully that was near enough, kind of the same time. Harry didn't clap. I don't. Think I did. I did clap. I did clap. Did you? I yeah. didn't hear. I didn't hear your clap because of my clap. Oh, well, yeah. Cool. How are you both doing then? Have you been doing a lot of like writing sessions and stuff over this? Or yeah, I think we've we've been pretty um we've been pretty busy actually, like writing wise. I would say. Would you agree, Harry? Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, we kind of pre-kind of lockdown we'd been sending the tracks back and forth anyway so nothing really changed on that front in regards to like the way we our creative setup is i guess so no nothing new on that front i so you quite used to writing over zoom because you two you're a part of you is it london and dundee's the two mm-hmm. yeah yeah so i mean like we're, we're kind of uh that's that's kind of been our writing process i guess since like day one no no it was a wee bit later on yeah. well maybe not day one but yeah it was maybe uh, yeah. like six or seven months in there yeah. but yeah it was kind of been a staple, I guess, in our writing process for a while. Uh, was it tough to kind of adjust to when you first started doing it? Or? No, not really, because I think we were very kind of like, this is my kind of part, there's your part, go back and forward. I don't I don't think we ever really, we wrote a couple of the early songs sitting in the room together saying like, oh, do you think I should play this note or that note? Or, you know, should yeah. we play an octave higher or, you know, octave lower? Or should we play it faster or slower? All that kind of stuff. We'd, we'd already, we'd, we'd done that. Um, I think we just prefer kind of like, this is, I'll give you my song, you give me your song, can you finish it off, and you send it back and forth, and it just seems to work. And I mean, occasionally we will still, we still do meet up, like, you know, like Dale still comes back up here, and we'll spend a good couple of days together just sitting writing. Yeah, or vice versa. I mean, I've only just moved into a new place just now, so eventually, once the restrictions are lifted a bit, maybe Harry could come down and we could do a bit. Yeah, like Harry says, usually I would go home to Scotland for a bit, see some family, meet up with Harry, get some writing done or practicing or whatever it is we normally do and then um but yeah sometimes harry would come down to london and we do the same thing so when was the last time you were up in scotland 
Have you been up since it's all kicked off, or is that was the when we last saw you? Actually, I think the headline tour. Yeah, that was the last time, and then since then it's just been. Yeah, I think cause it was it was actually, March, yeah. wasn't it? It was March twenty fifth, I think, when lockdown started. So we had uh, we had recording sessions booked, I think, and then we had a Dundee show booked sometime in May, and we were lining up a Glasgow one, and then we were meant to be trying to get down to London in that around about that time. But yeah, it just all kind of went to, you know, it kind of fell apart. I mean, I was smiling there when you were saying th- those three dates because thinking back to that, it's weird, just how it wasn't even like a thing. Like, it was like a, it, yeah. although it was this year, it feels like a completely different world. Even like not even just yeah, months, it's but. crazy. At that time, we weren't. There wasn't even a thought about. Yeah, there was hardly anything in the news or anything, and just suddenly, yeah, all hell broke loose, and here we are. How did you guys cope over lockdown? Are you are you alright being on your own, being inside or? Personally, for me, I, I've like, well, I know I could probably speak for Harry as well. I've, I've been working pretty much through the whole lockdown. Um, life really for me hasn't changed an awful lot. I work in construction generally day to day. So it's like, I mean, we stopped maybe for, well, in fact, we never really stopped. I kind of worked from, started working from home for maybe two, three months, maybe not even that. And then I, and then I, from March, April, May, June started going back to work again. So, and now I'm like full time, just just as normal, going back to work. So yeah, it hasn't really changed me an awful lot. But it was great working from home for that period of time. Was great though. I was able to just like sat, I just sit through the odd meeting now and again. And well, if anybody from work's listening, I was definitely doing work. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, working from home. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. But yeah, I think I was getting I was like a right, new song I right. every. So I was getting a new song like almost every day. <laughs> It's great. <laughs> and you yeah. sang every day. That's a pretty, a pretty massive turnover. Well, I mean, Man, more yeah. like an idea anyway. You know, so I kind of, I think Dale's kind of sends a lot of these songs that are maybe about, you know, fifty, kind of sixty, seventy percent finished, and it's a case of just fleshing them out structure wise, and then putting, you know, trying to find like lyrics on them, and then just you kind of got to work from there. Like there's, we've got oh, like quite a f- yeah, yeah, got we've got like a whole folder full of them of like demos that are not finished that we're trying to get done. You know, ideally through lockdown. So when you know. And it, whenever this, uh, you know, is over, let's just crack on, get them done. Yeah. When was the when was the EP that just came out? When was that written? Is that something you've had in the bank for a while? Yeah. I mean, well, we started. Well, we started writing. We went to Liverpool actually to record the first two tracks. That was uh, January two thousand and was it nineteen? Yeah, it was very early January. I think the the some of the songs had been written in late two thousand and eighteen. I think we'd started playing ad lib. Like as a different, it was a different version. Yeah, because we did that ignite show at St Luke's with Walt Disco, and we played that. That was the first time. Because I mind we were sitting in your car, trying to like finish some of the programming on the drums. Oh, yeah. uh, we, we went and did the sound check, and I'd I'd fucked up my. Sorry, I mean to swear. You can bleep that. Nah, you can swear if you want. It's okay. I fucked up my uh, my drum machine or something, so the snare wasn't coming in. So we were just playing the song with like no snare, and uh, we were like on sound check, just kind of looked at each other like, oh right, that's not good. Because that's a show you can we we, didn't, we wanted to you know put on the best show we could play in a, like a venue like that, so yeah no no so I'm off on a tangent here uh that was the first time we played Adlib and then I think Come On Over was written around around the same time because we were in a bit of a rush to kind of get songs ready for going down to Liverpool because we didn't really I think we were a bit dry on that front in terms of well I mean, yeah we had we had a few songs I think though I remember I vaguely remember us having a few of the demo songs um there or thereabouts in a sense and then we were kind of 
I think come on over. I wrote that one first, but I might not have sent it to you first. I might have sent Adlib first. I can't remember how it came about. But the, yeah, they I, they definitely were around about the same time. Because I remember they went; those two both went through like so many changes, especially come on over. That was yes. changed so many times, and then we eventually settled on what we did down in Liverpool with Rich. Yeah, it's almost like a ballad now. The way it's kind of turned out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it, yeah. So. It was a bit unexpected I guess I mean initially it started off like the main hook actually in the track the the synth sort of lead line was written on the guitar and I play it guitar live actually as well and that's the way I'll probably always play it live even though it's a synth on the on the track itself but Rich was like he, he definitely thought yeah the synth well initially I think he thought the synth would sort of cut through the mix a little bit better and stand out and I think we just kind of took his advice on that one really and then we just kind of transcribed it from guitar on the on a synth, and then did we play that one through the Prophet, or did we just use a plugin? Yeah, that was that was done on the Prophet Eight because that was kind of like when we first started becoming a bit like kind of geeks with the whole like kind of synths and stuff like that, and that was when we first got to play on his uh his Prophet Eight, and yeah, he let us that, that sounded pretty mega. As soon as we found out he had one, we're like, right, we need to just record everything on this. So the the bass went through it, like every synth was just a different preset that we've messed about with. And um, I think that's probably one of the other reasons why that guitar part got changed up for a um, for a synth. But then obviously I got my guitar part later on. Because we like um, tracked down, I came down and like with um, Al in the car all the way from Glasgow. Oh yeah. With like three of my like huge keyboards and like this like terrible like old Korg keyboard that we've got that's down in London with Dale now which turns out was actually great we didn't realise at the time and we didn't use a single one of them we just ended up using this one synth that uh, Rich had or we might have used I think we used his like Moog I don't know I can't remember oh yeah we did yeah but he we had did, so actually. many little toys that like, he let us use that was, was cool that was an amazing yeah. studio and he got to show us like all the kind of downstairs and it had like photos of like Drake and Justin Bieber on the wall and he showed us like the piano that Chris Martin played clocks on and I think like everything, everything had just like recorded their album there, who I'm a big fan of. So that was quite a geeky moment. Uh, but yeah, oh no, that place is just Power Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was unreal. It's great. What's that studio like then? For someone who's never been in, if you could kind of, I'm interested in it in the kind of atmosphere and how it looks. It's not like uh, maybe it's not because it's quite an old studio. I, I guess it's got a lot of history, but it doesn't seem like that when you first kind of go in the front door. It does look it's in a, quite an industrial part. You yeah. come in, it doesn't. It looks quite unassuming at the front door. You kind of walk in, it's like this kind of reception area. I think there's stairs in the middle or something. Um, there's like a kind of a mezzanine floor above it, like this weird stair- open staircase. And then you kind of kind of go left, and that's where like the main the main room is um, off to the left, and that's where it's all wood clad and like you know it's the massive massive mixing desk. It's like the size of my flat. Um, you know, and it's that that's where the magic, I suppose, happens. And and then, yeah, we then you kind of go through it and there's loads of different studio spaces kind of like patched about everywhere. Um, and everyone's got their own little space, um, which is pretty good. So um, it's uh, yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. Actually. It's got some old the old part that's obviously the original part of the, the studio. And then they've obviously extended it or bought parts of the next door sort of building and, and added to it over the years, I guess. Yeah, just kind of kept expanding it and kind of building outwards. Yeah, yeah. So what tracks were done there? Because it was it was various tracks were done with various producers, right? You kind of worked with a few different people on it. 
Yeah. Uh, well, the first two that we recorded, which were the two we did at Liverpool, which were Come On, Come on Over and Adlib. And then obviously we originally released Adlib later on that year. Those two were recorded first, and they, I suppose they were actually the first demos that we had um, anyway. And to be honest, I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, Harry, but I don't even think that at that point when we recorded those two tracks, I don't think any of the other tracks were written at that point. I think I had you wrong when it was originally called like Waiting on a Mate was done. Oh, I, still, yeah. I still remember that kind of bass line from the verse was there. and that, yeah. was, that was done. And I think maybe like, I think You Don't Have To was probably in its early stages. Because we went and did that with Kieran in the summer, yeah. No, like, I think if on if anything, like when we were down at Par Street Studios, we were kind of like creatively kind of like drained. I think I don't think we really had, we, which kind of sounds kind of because now I think we're you know kind of churning them out. But at that point, we didn't really have any other songs. It was just like these are the these are the two we've got. This is all we've got. Let's go and record them. And we just happened to be working with like you know some a really high end producer like Rich, yeah, which was just kind of bizarre looking back on. But um. Yeah, at the t- at the time we recorded them, it was just like we were just literally record a song, put it out, record a song, put it out. There was no like record, you know, four or five songs and then let's have a plan for how we put them out. It was just record them, put it out, and then see what happens. At the time, at the time of doing that, because this like the like history of this kind of like EP is so like over the course of one year. It's at the time of recording them, even the time of recording like on well, you don't have to. We didn't have any idea of putting that on an EP. It was just record it, put it out at some point. Yeah, you used the phrase uh, "creatively drained." There, what? Why do you think that was? Kind of when you were going into those sessions, when you just had those uh, two songs. I why was? I think that? the the reason for that was because we were still kind of like trying to get used to it. We were still trying to learn how to play live, and we devoted quite a bit of time towards you know learning how to put a proper show on. And we'd been playing quite a lot of shows, so you're meeting up, trying to practice, you know, put on a you know a certain standard of a show, and there was never really any time to sit down and write. So, just I think our focus was on that, and I think now that we were pretty confident in how to put a show on, um, it's just all focus on you know writing music, I guess. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I would remember it as well. Tail end of two, no, two thousand eighteen. We did we start at the start of the year. We recorded the four songs with Scotty, and that was done quite quickly. Yeah. And Dale had been sitting on those four songs for quite a while, at least you know kind of on the, you know the kind of, the spines of the song, if that makes sense, like you know, the, the kind of heavy lifting part. So in terms of actually, like, you know, recording them, it's kind of the easy part. Like, we did that at the start of the year and then went just went out and played them for the rest of the year. And we were, like, trying to learn how to play live. So we were kind of drained from that because it was quite intense around then. We got to a stage, like, we got to, like, somewhere really quite quickly. Like, we hit the first glass ceiling, I suppose, if you want to call it, like, really quickly. I think folk... We were getting well. We got to play um, Expo North in the first year. We got to play the festival in Inverness. What's it called? Sorry, I can't remember. Oh, uh, Belladrum. Belladrum. Yeah, we played Belladrum, uh, like the Seedland stage or whatever it was. And like we we're playing show after show. And I remember like my pretty much all my annual leave for that year was taken up from because I had to take a couple of days before every show so that we could actually spend a bit of time. Because obviously at that point I was just sort of moving to London at that point as well so that whole year was just a bit of a nightmare so creatively we hadn't really sort of figured out this back and forth um, sending each other stems things we to be honest we hadn't even until we started playing live we, hadn't, we, we were using GarageBand prior to any live show and even for the first few shows we were using GarageBand to kind of play the track live 
because mm. we weren't really sure how to then translate a studio session into a live mm. session. So it was like a massive learning curve from day one. Um, and I mean, it still is, I guess. Um, it still is to some degree. Yeah, I mean, how do you do that? How do you translate a studio session into a live one? How does that process work and how do you go about doing so? So you still kind of retain it, but you still make it... Cause I, remember saying, I remember you telling me you kind of want to make it a little bit different live, don't you? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, well, initially, funny story, the, the only reason why the first few tracks, um, we the only reason why we took that stance in, stance initially was because we couldn't replicate it live. <laughs> so, like, physically, we just didn't know how to do it. Like, we, we, we just... We didn't have the knowledge of any of the DAWs or anything. But now, obviously, having that knowledge and getting the stems, which are like the, the individual parts of the song, split down. So then you could then sort of route that through from your... Well, we use Ableton Live, but you sort of... You route it through Ableton Live and then just send out individual channels. And then eventually you could send out to the uh, to the front house. And then obviously it kind of gets mixed by the front house guy live. But we didn't have that set up, and that was what we were building to yeah. for basically the whole of 2018 yeah. well, until Belgium, actually. Yeah, um, we made the kind of mistake of doing Belgium as our first show where we changed the setup to start using Ableton, and we were still kind of kind of figuring that one out. Um, so that was a bit of a disaster of a show. Yeah. But, um, yeah. No, I think like the first few shows we did, like we when we were you know the first um six months or whatever it was we were trying to like we'd, we'd come from playing kind of like indie bands like kind of guitar based bands we had to play kind of like but 10 20 shows you know with that setup to kind of get the money together to kind of buy some better gear like buy a good interface get like then we could afford to pay for ableton and then start getting better synths you know better guitar pedals and then we were like right the show can actually be good because prior to that we'd, we'd also been using like dj decks and it was just like like a dj set but dale played on top of it but now I think, without giving any secrets away, I think we've we've definitely got more of a hands-on approach that we can make the shows a bit more interesting, a bit more mixed up, and what we could yeah. also go back to making it re- replicating it. Like, but I think the, like on the record, but I think that kind of seems a bit boring now. I think we like kind of mixing up. A yeah, bit. yeah. I mean, like like I say, sorry, I, I I meant to explain that originally we probably didn't replicate the songs live purely because we couldn't, but now we kind of do it because we kind of like to, you know. It's like Although, yeah, like the spine of the song will be the same, like the lyrics obviously yeah. are the same thing, the melodies are the same thing, um, the beats generally are the same thing, although sometimes we've been thinking about maybe experimenting a little bit um, with a few of the beats from the songs and then making them a slightly different version of the song live. It just makes it more interesting for us, but I think, like we've been told so many times not to do it, but... Yeah, but uh, they, like they so many that. times it's just uh, no stick to the songs like the, the people want to come and see you play the hits or whatever you know and just like play the songs bang 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 and then you kind of get out and I'm like nah I kind of want to put a big show on and get to that stage and I feel like now we're kind of getting more and more towards that stage and we're always going to be learning new tricks and how to do it live um, hopefully we can do it justice one day I think like my setup is pretty much um I have like but two or three sometimes kind of four synths on stage with like a drum machine and I just I send like all the MIDI kind of information from Ableton to those synths and then I'm just really in control of kind of manipulating what that information that's coming from Ableton um, so I can I'm free to kind of you know mix it up every night so it sounds kind of slightly different and then you kind of still to retain you know aspects of the original record we, we have like maybe two or three channels on Ableton that are just audio 
that we chop up and they're parts of like the the recordings but we can send them to our interface and then we send it out which to a mixing desk and you just can you know manipulate those sounds and then you you know send them to front of house and it's their job to kind of make it sound half decent i guess but no like yeah i think i think playing live's so much fun because we've got so much kind of room to kind of mess around like we've like spent so long trying to learn to get to where we are we didn't we had no idea what we were doing on day one like when the first gig we didn't know what we were doing like that's just brutally brutally honest we we didn't have any any clue but um i think we're in a good spot now i think that's when you learn the most as well isn't it yeah when, you, when you're in those by making mistakes i think by like playing shows where it went it was a disaster we we played um a year using our, our manager's uh old uh like laptop and it just kept dying on us every gig and then we were like figure out had to figure out how to stop it from you know because you're operating on a shoestring budget and then we had this like horrible old interface that was like probably older than me uh, that we used to use and then we've just just replaced that like just after that tour we made a bit of money from that to buy this interface and then now there's no more gigs so it's like it's such a tease but yeah i'm I'm pining to get back because i think we'll be we're, i think we'll be putting on quite a good show well to on trumpet so yeah yeah i mean as well as having a pretty formidable live setup you've got a pretty what's your kind of home setup like you're a home recording because you get quite a lot of the songs down before you go into the studio now don't you you're kind of working on quite a bit and have them so when we first when we went to into the studio to record the first four with Scotty, um, bit of a mess. We had like very yeah. very 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 basic demos, um, like the basic like very much the basic spine of the song recorded, basic parts and stuff. We didn't have any interfaces or anything to actually no, record anything at home. Don't think we even apart from like was. the iRig. I think I think we had the, the wee guitar iRig thing, which was like the single input that then they could use for some MIDI some guitar it was mm-hmm. just terrible but it was enough for us to do you know get the idea of the song put together and then, and then take it into the studio and then, then Scotty kind of helped flesh that out in the studio with the gear that he had mm-hmm. which was a godsend really we didn't have any production skills whatsoever very naive we were like kind of like oh we want this kind of sound like kind of or whatever and he's like oh cool and then and then he would kind of have his bit of a spin on it as well. And then, like, uh, before you know it, you had this, the songs were, like, fleshed out. It was just completely night and day. I think now, well, over the time, I've amassed, like, a, a decent setup. Now it's taken two years, though, to be fair. Um, and getting a half-decent interface and some monitors for the house and be able to get to the, the demos to, you know, a, a listenable stage, let's say. <laughs> um, like, you could listen to them and, you know... Um, I'm not 100% sure if I'd release them, but as they are. But uh, I think it's enough to take, to take into a studio and show a producer yeah. like that's like this is my idea in my head. Because sometimes when you're in a guitar band, if you had a song you wrote and it's like in my head it sounds like this, but then you go into a studio and work with someone and you know it's not their fault, but they they produce it and then you've got the finished product and you're like, ah oh, man, this is not what I wanted it to sound like. You know, whereas yeah. like we're at a level we can say like no, we can sit there and say to them no, can you tweak that? Can you tweak this? And because we're kind of getting a bit better we spent the time kind of teaching ourselves how to get to a certain standard and it's good it means you're kind of like more confident with like the finished product i guess like rich was um our first experience of like obviously he's done so many bands he's worked with blossoms and the coral and everything clean cut kid or whatever but so he's he's had like a lot of experience obviously um so as soon as we sent him the first two demos for coming over an ad lib he was like cool can hear something in that um, you need to work on them a little bit more. I need to get. I need to hear more of 
what you want to achieve with the song before I can really take it on. But he's like, I really, really like the core ideas of the songs. And he said he really digged them at the time, which is the reason why he agreed to produce them in the first place, which is quite fortunate. So he come back with like a few notes and was like, maybe you need to add a little bit more here and be like, look, you need to kind of think about this a little bit more. About, and then we had to then go backwards and forwards. Harry did a bit, I did a bit. And bearing in mind, we had no real, at this point, we still didn't really know how to use the um, like logic or anything at this point. Um, we were just fiddling about. But we got them up to a decent enough standard where if you, I suppose if you compared the demo versions to the final versions, obviously completely night and day, like you couldn't really, but you could hear, you could see it, you know, it where the parts. Like, yeah, you can listen to it and say like, that's the, that is That's definitely song. that song. Yeah, yeah, whereas like the stuff with Scotty we did was like predominantly just like stock sounds on Garage Band, and, you know, he took it and had to really kind of do a lot of the heavy lifting. Whereas when we went into Rich, that was kind of the first stage where we were, starting to kind of find our feet on the whole production side of things i'd say i was, I was gonna ask about the ep like at, at what point did spain come into the process because i understand that was where you kind of finished off the songs you went over there and kind of just got them down yeah so we kind of or... um we, it was funny because we had a few different like we had a couple of the songs i think at that point it must have been hideaway and i had you wrong was it i think you don't have to was kind of with kieran just before am i right in saying that harry yeah, we went in with him probably late summer and recorded that and he was mixing it for a wee bit and then mastered it and then we went over to Spain and just wanted to finish the last two songs and then you went and recorded them down in London and we had the yeah. remix, we had the web remix that we went and finished there and then we also kind of recorded a couple of, well, recorded the demos for a couple of the new songs that will probably be on the, the next EP. Yeah, so it's quite quite a fruitful experience. Yeah, it was kind of just a random... Uh... Because I was talking about coming home, and I was like, it's going to cost me like 80 quid or 100 quid to come home. And I was like, oh, this is a nightmare. Um, and Harry was like, well, you should just go to Spain. And I'm like, all right, sound. <laughs> and it was actually probably cheaper for all three of us to fly to Spain than it was for me to get a single, like a return journey from Dundee to London, which is mental when you think about it. But yeah. I think we played Tenement Trail in Glasgow on the Saturday, and then we, we used the money from that well, to pay off the rest of the flights, and we flew to Spain on the Sunday, or the Monday, I can't remember. Yeah, so it wasn't bad after all. Did it feel different when you were over there, like the writing process of it? I'm interested how that kind of affected it being over there. Well, we had less... I guess you're kind of isolated as well. Yeah, but we had less gear. I had nothing. We literally just had our laptops and the keyboard, used the keyboard as a MIDI thing, and put our stuff and ideas, bits and bobs in, and then just tweaking the sounds that we had. And then it was just a lot of booze involved, really, I think. Um, and then Ben got an earache as well, which which helped. Actually, you bring your photographer as well. Yeah, so yeah, Ben can. was like... Um, well, it was one of those ones where we just off, asked him on the off chance, we're like, we're heading across, you fancy just coming over? And he was like, oh, yeah, too right. So um, we just, you know, a few weeks later or whatever, here we are just like hopping on a plane to Alicante. And then... Uh, and then, um, then that's when we decided, well, Ben's here, why don't we make the most of it? And we'll just get like, and just have everything for the EP kind of all kind of centered around this kind of sunny kind of wish wash background. And, and that's kind of where all the visual element came from at then as well. We recorded a couple of videos through there. Um, and yeah, that's kind of where it all came about. I mean, I think it helps to separate you as well, being in that environment. Cause I don't think I've ever seen another Scottish band at this level at least, you know, kind of get press shots done like in, with palm trees and stuff. Oh, man, yeah. 
it was quite a weird one to start with, but we just took it in a stride. A lot of people don't realise, and a lot of those photos were like dangerously hungover. Oh, so. that's why Harry's got uh, sunglasses on in every single one of them. Yeah, and a creased shirt. And a creased shirt, yeah, because he was hungover, couldn't be bothered ironing it, and then here we are about 10 minutes later getting a photograph outside some strange Spanish house. Yeah, getting bit by loads of mosquitoes and stuff. Yeah. Oh man, the mosquitoes were horrendous. It was fun. It was one of those ones where we kind of just like, oh, we were driving past somewhere, we're like, oh, that would be a cool photo, and we just like, at that point, we just thought, well, that's what we're here for. So we just stopped every opportunity, we were like, oh, that would be cool. We just stopped at it, and then even if it wasn't cool, it was like, well, we just did it anyway, mm-hmm. you know. So we've got loads of stuff that's just like piled up from that trip, and it was just a great trip in general. Um, yeah. And thanks to big thanks to big um, big Harry. It's my dad's name. Yeah. So I think yeah, we'll probably <laughs> we'll probably go it again. I think probably going when we probably get to the the crunch period for the next um, EP or whatever we're, whatever's planned next. Um, maybe just go out and chill out there because it's it's in, they're in the middle of nowhere so it's like a wee kind of little town in the kind of middle of the desert kind of area what well, looks like the desert anyway but yeah so hopefully we'll probably go it again and yeah, yeah it's good fun it was it was good laugh a lot of those photos are like in ruins and stuff wasn't it like kind of old yeah broken down buildings yeah we went up to a town kind of remote yeah we went up to this cool old town called um, i think it was monovar which is just like yeah. all kind of old like ruins and it looked just so cool and there's lots of cool wee streets so ben was in his element yeah we just had yeah Got totally inspired by it. I know it sounds kind of pretentious, but it was quite inspiring for a lot of the stuff. And it was definitely like, even like on the remix for Web and stuff, like you kind of got that, I don't know, you just got into the groove, I think. It's good. The wine helped. <laughs> How did you first get involved with that then, the, the Web remix? Because do you kind of know each other roughly? Or? Uh, I honestly cannot remember. I think I really, really don't remember. <laughs> I think it might have been an email. It might have been... Oh, no, did we not see him at the tenement? That was, was it uh, not the Tenement Trail? Was it Van Winkles, yeah. I think it was the Tenement Trail literally just before we went off. He was just like, I think that would be like pretty cool. I think, the, I think we'd maybe chatted about it. So there might have been an email like from way back and we hadn't really followed him up on it or anything. And then when we caught up with him at the Tenement Trail, he was like, oh yeah, man, that'd be so cool. And then next minute we've got the stems in our inbox and then we fly out to Spain and next minute we're actually working on it, you know, a few days later. So... Um, yeah, from that point of view it all came quite quickly came together what makes a, yeah. a good remix for yourselves what would you class as a, a good one because I mean you've done remixes and you've also had yourself remixed haven't you yeah I don't know Dale what, what makes a good remix it's hard to say I don't know because um, it's kind of like I suppose we just view it as writing another song I don't know if like from our point of view I don't know if we well it's certainly in my mind anyway it's kind of just yeah just writing like a brand new song um, but you've got some sounds already there that you can mm-hmm. mess about with and, and use and, and take elements of and, and stuff like that, which is quite nice. I know some people, I suppose, use it, you know, just stick a 4-4 four, four drum beat on it and then there we go, it's like there's a banging remix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, it's probably, I don't know what you would maybe, what I would say classes as a good remix, but certainly uh, we just kind of look for think it's like trying to like build upon the original and trying to just take it down a different route but st- well it's kind of still saying kind of still keeping an essence of the original i think uh especially for me and like dale whenever we've done remixes it's kind of like trying to get like little ideas that maybe wouldn't quite fit for for a beta wave song getting out of your system maybe on a remix it's quite that can be quite fun you know 
because you might have a cool hook or a cool riff or a cool beat that just doesn't quite work you know one of our songs you know i mean but then it's different because we did the dev green remix and i like spent a bit of time like the bass line in that i, I love that song and I, I chopped it up and really kind of spent a bit of time doing that and that was trying to like take that song but kind of make it kind of like a bit more just more of a kind of like a, a twist on the song as such more than a, a total remix so it was like the same it was the same structure just a bit faster kind of and then it was like a different mix i like things that weren't as high in the mix in the original I, I turned up certain things in the mix i maybe wasn't too into i turned down and i kind of made the bass super kind of the focus of the song so that was kind of fun doing that and then there's maybe songs like the man and moon one that was just a complete reimagination um the web ones just using minimal aspects of that song sampling them and then putting them onto a different beat but it's about trying to have like kind of level of discipline sometimes because you, you you don't want to go over the top you know and go too long or predominantly our songs kind of take more of a pop kind of approach pop format whereas with that you want to kind of think about it being like played on a, on a dance floor in a nightclub so it's like just trying to get in a different headspace which is quite fun i think anyway it's challenging not to make it a bait wave song though aye yeah you still want to put like the kind of the glittery twinkly pops <laughs> yeah you're still like really tempted to add like that hook here or whatever and you're like fuck yeah, no, you can't do just that. No, can't control do that. yourself yeah does that ever go on to inspire your stuff though because i mean the the ep that you guys just put out it's kind of going a little bit of a dancer direction with some of the stuff we bet yeah i mean for that stuff well actually to be fair yeah especially i had you wrong that was like a bit of a jam kind of dancey jam i guess uh, but yeah, because three of the tr- songs, I suppose, were finished or there or thereabouts before we went. It was only the last two, which I suppose are probably, you guess you're right, the more dancier songs. <laughs> so yeah, probably, you're probably right. It probably inadvertently sort of influenced us, I guess, for those two tracks. In terms of like the remix stuff bleeding into like our own original music, I um, was working on one of the Man and Moon remixes that um, I ended up accidentally deleting and then had to work on a different song. But the first song I worked on has um, these kind of like like distorted kind of hi-hats that kind of run out throughout the whole song. And I uh, I ended up taking that idea and putting that into um, You Don't Have To because Dale already had these kind of hi-hats playing off each other and I thought I'd just add another one in there. So it's just like, yeah, like certain things like that. Just like wee things that you just don't even realise you're, you're doing. But yeah, they all just kind of bleed into one in some, some sense, yeah. I mean, I wanted to ask about I Had You Wrong as well. <laughs> that's a song i remember the first time i listened to it when you sent it over it you know you kind of it started off and you thought you knew where it was going and then suddenly halfway through it transcends into this massive kind of instrumental dance thing what, what, at what point did that idea kind of enter the process and where did that come from and how did it develop into that well um <laughs> that was just completely random um we had the song was a song it was more like the start of the song is what we kind of had as the demo and it just was a fairly standard, um, yeah, it was just a fairly standard sort of hook, verse, chorus, verse, kind of chorus to end it. And then when we, I was working down in the studio with Hugo, um, which is the, the, the guy, Hugo, um, that we work with down here. And I was in the studio with him that day and I just got really bored listening to the song. And because uh, obviously, you know, when you're recording, you just listen to it over and over and over again. Um, I just got really bored with it and then um, I was like just just continue playing the beat and nothing else just the the beat and then I just come up with that bass line at the end and then before you know it it was just like it turned into a completely different song and then originally we tried to then go back into the chorus at the end 
but it, because we changed the key it just didn't work we couldn't go back into it so like you know what met i'm fine i will just just carry on in this direction and then it just went into what it did i guess it just it was just fairly spontaneous come together in like three or four hours man that's quick yeah it was just it was super quick and i don't even know we just as soon as we got the baseline down it was just bit after bit just like kind of just fell into place and we're like that's really cool and then obviously we recorded the basic elements and then hugo went away and um he so we comp we, there's a lot of comp folders of like the main bass part but the, the main bass part less so most of that was tracked maybe like after two or three comps and then the rest of it was kind of just me hitting some pots and pans and bits and bobs like that at the end and i just kept on hitting stuff and he was following me around the, the studio with his microphone <laughs> i was just hitting on the uh the bins and stuff and uh pots and then yeah it just come like it just come together quite nicely what uh what's the hook in that song again it's when you keep saying waiting that's what you keep saying oh yeah wait, waiting. Like, that was the original title of the song and then yeah you just that's keep right saying, waiting 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 and then it just eventually kind of he starts adding loads of delay to your vocals and then starts changing the pitch of it and then eventually the key there's a key change and then the bass comes in and it kind of then it goes off in a totally different so it's a tricky is the transition off in the trickiest part because you kind of have to get that spot on and really smooth or you can't pull yeah, that it was, off that was the that was the quickest that was the quickest but yeah for, yeah for this song man it was just that just that that was what fell into place it was like I had this bass, this bass idea where I just like heard it as I was listening to the song, listening to the beat, and I thought that would work really well. And then uh, once we got the bass part down, I was just like, I think we should just stop the vocal at the end just before I'm saying whatever the last line was. I was like, just stop it waiting, and then uh, and then just repeat it, and then he just copied and pasted it for a while, you know, until he obviously then started messing about the delay. Um, and he'd be like, actually, that actually works. Didn't have to like, it was just not really any thought, no planning. It just kind of came together it's almost like an instinct though isn't it i, I guess so I, I guess you could say that yeah it was it was quite nice like hugo's like amazing at just being able to just like the amount of stuff he has to put up with me, me sitting in the studio i'm like i want to try this and then he's just sitting there for like an hour whilst i'm messing about with some little part that may sound initially like the bass part for example i'd probably sat there for i spent a lot of time on the bass part maybe half an hour 45 minutes just like playing bits and pieces and then I was like, right, I've got an idea. So we played it in. So he just sat there for that 45 minutes, just like listening to me playing all these like little parts. And then eventually we just like, that's it. that sounds actually quite good. And then we just kept it and then moved on to the next bit. And yeah, and then three or four hours later, we had it. <laughs> Quick turnaround. Yeah, yeah. One of the things, one of the things I, I actually, I rewatched the interview, you know, we did in Edinburgh back at the end of January. And it was when I picked up on you said, it, Dale, where you spoke about not being like a, you know, like a particularly like emotionally open person generally in life, mm. but but with this EP, it feels that like lyrically that you've kind of you've moved a bit more in that direction. Would you say it feels a little bit more open, maybe? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess I guess <laughs> it's funny because we always say I think we said this in every interview that the songs don't really mean an awful lot. Um, I guess the way I write the lyrics, I suppose, like obviously there is a there is a a story, as I guess, behind most of the songs, if not all of them, but I tend to obscure it a lot, but the way, the way that I write the lyrics and the way that I, I form the, the words, I kind of obscure it a bit so it's not as, as obvious. The only one that was fairly on the nose was Come On Over, I think, which was that was the most kind of direct, as I, get, I guess, when it comes to the lyrics. Apart from that, though, everything else is, I, I try to hide the 
the true um, the true meaning behind every song. So it could be interpreted by everybody in many different ways. Yeah, I think there's a certain kind of like ambiguity to like Dale's lyrics that kind of makes the songs kind of you can go back to them after maybe two years or you know hypothetically say six years from now and you know get a different meaning from them and then it, it has a totally different kind of appeal rather than being you know completely on the nose kind of heart on the sleeve and you're like that I know exactly what that song means you know like some person might listen to it and say oh this means that to me and someone else might get a totally different meaning from it and I think that kind of makes it a bit more interesting yeah I mean it probably ties in like the feeling of euphoria that comes from the songs as well yeah you know that kind of shiny type of it kind of translates into the lyrics as well yeah I mean a lot of the songs are right probably on my own so that's probably where a lot of the um you'll notice I probably say uh, I, I probably use the word alone um, or a variations of that word in pretty much every fucking song I write I think because I'm always alone when I'm writing them so that's just the way it kind of comes across yeah I don't I don't touch you when it comes to the, the lyrics I just leave you to do your own thing on that front I mean of course you would tell me if they were terrible but I mean I'm hoping no, so far I, I kind of enjoy I, them all so far come on over is very it's very uh, heart on the sleeve but <laughs> it's still good though <laughs> Yeah, thanks. Still dig it. Yeah, it's still good. Man. <laughs> I still love it. People seem to like it. It's all good. Yeah, it's funny how um, you were saying that that's the most open one, but then you kind of hide it in the EP. Like it's the one that you kind of put out packaged, you know, surrounded by another four tracks. Yeah, I know. I don't know. That that was there was no really real intention for for that really. Yeah, um, that was never thought out. Yeah, that we was, never really in, yeah. like in terms of the release plan. We we didn't really have, I suppose, a proper. Just making up as we were going along. It was yeah. like, right, what what songs should we release now? What's how was the last one received? What should the next one be? Because we had all these songs sitting there ready to go out, and we didn't release the EP in you know a, a conventional way. Yeah, no, it was just I mean, come on over could, probably could have been the first single we released. It, could, it ended up being the last, but no, there was never any kind of thought process in that. It was probably the most poppy one of the lot, so maybe probably releasing it first probably would have. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Hindsight's a beautiful thing. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, and I know Harry says there wasn't really any thought. I mean, we did have a bit of thought on how we released it in terms of, like, the overall plan. There wasn't a defined reason why we didn't release it first. It, it was just, we just thought, when we looked over the tracks, we were kind of like, well, Hideaway had, it was a bit kind of upbeat, it was a bit happy and go lucky, and it was, we hadn't released a song for a while, a good couple of months or so, so we thought that's quite a good one to open with. Yeah, and then we wanted to try our luck a little bit with "I Had You Wrong" because it was like what six minutes or whatever it is now. I don't even know how long it is now. And we thought we'd well, just try our luck and see how that how that goes. Um, and that seemed to have done quite well as well. So we were like pre- pleasantly surprised. I guess there wasn't a plan at the same time. There was a plan, but it just wasn't really completely thought out as to why a certain song was released at a certain point in time. It just kind of that's the way we decided to yeah. go with it it was released in a very kind of modern way wasn't it like a kind of streaming kind of approach that we put them at one at a time just so that each song can have yeah. that impact and kind of have that space to yeah to land. you're seeing a lot more uh bigger bands doing that i think yeah we kind of liked every song individually though and we think that you know when you drop an ep of five or six songs whatever it is um you're like like each song gets potentially missed you know you there's songs that'll get missed on an ep because like like for example if somebody's seen a six minute long um song at the end of the ep they'll probably not bother going to that song they'll be like ah oh, six minutes long not bothered by it but we kind of wanted to give every song um like some sort of um focus at we least for a few weeks up. yeah because every song i suppose had elements that we really liked and we really wanted to showcase that each song individually mm-hmm. and then we thought 
I suppose when you think about it, come on over was probably in terms of like um, being poppy uh, um, and, and more immediate. It's kind of, that's the one that kind of, I guess, draws you in. So that didn't need to be, in our minds, that didn't need to be a single because through the EP, that'll stand out as a single, mm-hmm. you know, whereas the rest of them may not have. Yeah. And to give them the focus first and then throw, come on over into the EP and then people have come across it and like, wow, that's... Uh, totally different or you know felt it probably had more impact what about for yourselves though how do you consume music do you tend to go through on a song by song basis do you mainly play with guys or you go for records i'm i'm a records guy i i i collect i like my i collect vinyl you've yeah. got quite a big collection of lps do you have you still yeah yeah i'm quite that's that's always been the case but i do i do understand the i do understand the merits of like a playlist and why that's quite appealing to people you know in terms of things being a bit more immediate but no I, I definitely consume things as an album i think uh a lot of people have kind of got in touch with us about this ep saying you know it makes sense as a collective piece of music even though it has there's nothing even remotely coherent about the, the songs because they're all as we said recorded by different producers but it's it does work as a collective piece it just it makes sense in that context but yeah yeah i'm, I'm kind of the same I, I mean i don't have like nearly as many records i've maybe got like just looking around this, my shoulder there, I've got like twenty, maybe twenty-five records. That's all. Just a nice little collection of my the the, the hits, as you you know, my favorite albums. But in terms of like streaming, I'll always stream an album. I'll I'll always um, listen to a full album or a full EP over a single. I think that's just my my preference. So it is funny when we kind of <laughs> hypocritically just release singles <laughs> and yet all we listen to is albums, but that's just the way it goes. Um, yeah, play the game, I guess. Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm a massive final guy. I couldn't, I couldn't um, lie to you, but yeah, big albums, man. What record are you proudest of that you own, though? Oh, most definitely. If I could, if I could turn around and show you, I've got the, the current... Um, album but like the collector's edition so it's the one that's stacked like an inch thick um, it's got the um, I need to show you actually I'm just going to have to yeah, yeah just grab it I don't think I've got anything like too rare maybe like the first Yeah Yeah Yeah's record which uh, what's the first one again I, I honestly can't remember the name of it off by off my top of my head but I know it's 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 really good though <laughs> I know that has I've it got, got uh, maps on it yeah and then I've got um, I've got Todd Terrier's album. That's a big influence on a lot of our stuff. All the Caribou records, all the Hot Chip records, all the LCD Sound System records. What's your favourite Hot Chip record? In our heads, easy. Yeah. Sorry, Dale. We've interrupted. Um, yeah, go on, Dale. Sorry. The hot Chip tangent. You've got your record there. But that's it. That is in all its glory. For everybody who can't see this, it's the current collector collector's edition. It's got the. It's got the. You know what? It's got this very funky um so power lines was uh brought out like second sort of i don't even know how to call it was it maybe an ep extension it was, the, it, was to B-sides. it was kind of like all the b-sides it was just like an little extension but it's got this amazing like vinyl that's like basically just i don't know like plastic it's really thin plastic it's very like can you does that work can you play that yeah man it's it's bizarre it's so weird but yeah it works I could vouch for that. It definitely works. Desperate to get lonerism. That's like, that's better than currents, I think. Nah, man. Lonerism is my favourite. Yeah, I'd go for yeah, it. Yeah, man. That's uh, there's not a, there's not a bad song on that record. It's insane. What's the second last song on the album? Is it? Uh, uh, I know Sun 
Sun's down. Sun's, that, that's the sun's last coming one. up's the last one. So, sun's coming up, sorry. sorry. Is it uh, oh, everything that's happened? Uh, uh well, not. It's like... It's a stupid title. Everything that has happened so far has been out with our control or something. Yeah. What did you guys make of the the new records? I liked it. I didn't listen to it as much as Currents, but um, it was good. It was good, man. It was a good collection. I did give it a good listen, like, a good couple of hundred times. I've enjoyed his more, like, recent output in terms of production. Like, his, um, like, the, I can't pronounce his name. It's, like, the song's called Baby. The, the album, sorry. It's, like, Theopolis, London. I don't oh, yeah, that was really good. The two tracks he did with him was no, really yeah, good. Um, and then he did the stuff with Lady Gaga, and then he's, the Pond records are great, so. I'm not, che- I'll need to check out. I didn't know there was a new Pond record out. Oh, it's so good because that's his band. That's his band, isn't it? Yeah, they all play in Pond. And the guy, um, yeah, Wilson to Cameron Avery's solo record as well. Uh, I yes. have not. Dale has though. Dale's very good. Band. Very, yeah, very, very good. good. Yeah, it's kind of like a little bit like Last Shadow Puppets, here, isn't it? But yeah. Well, well, I think uh, I think that's what. Well, I, I what did did um, Cameron Avery not play with our monkeys? Yeah, with our yeah. monkeys or with um, Last Shadow Puppets or something. Too. Yeah. Is that the bassist? He did keys for uh, AM in the last tour, didn't he? Yeah, yeah like the percussion bits and bobs. But yeah, the last Pond record was like ten times better than the last Tame Impala record. I thought yeah, we saw them in Barcelona at uh, at the Adidas stage at Primavera, and it was immense. Yeah, they're amazing. Like and live was, band is unreal. Oh, I was dangerously hungover at that, but and then Tame Impala played um, at like two in the morning on the main stage, and like the sound was terrible. And it was just because like their stuff's kind of like kind of currents kind of era stuff's really kind of chilled out. So with it being dead quiet, it was just a bit flat. I don't know. I seen that. I seen them all on that same tour at Gunnersby Park in London, and it was phenomenal. Best show I've ever been in my life. Light show was amazing. The sound was just spot on, man. It was so loud. So it was like the opposite to what Harry um, probably experienced. But mm-hmm. like those speakers behind you, in front of you, at the side of you, it was just like you were just surrounded at. It was awesome. Felt felt the bass like just coming shuddering through you. It's good. Speaking there about um, you know, kind of our thoughts on that uh, new Tim and Palo record. I, I kind of agree with you using that. I did enjoy it, but I don't think it's it's up there with the kind of previous ones for me. No. Do, do you think you can get too absorbed in an album? How do you know when to stop, or just in music in general, rather, and not push it too far and not overwork it? I think it's like being able to being open to kind of collaborate. I think some. I'm I'm not gonna. I've never ever write anything that even compares to what he's capable of, but I think maybe taking like five years to bring a record out probably doesn't help. I think we're really good at having sec- getting people to kind of have a second opinion. Like we've got a lot of friends that we trust that we'll send stuff to. Obviously, we've not never done an album, but we've done music and like you, you spend too long on it. It's like trying to like get a second opinion is quite handy, I think. You can't you can spend if you don't get that sort of outside help. Um, you can spend well, I even even like in between between me and Harry like if I spend like a lot of time on a single demo without before sending it to Harry I could be going down like a completely like a weird tangent and come out with this demo that's like I like I've worked on it that much I'm like yes I'm like totally um blindsided by how terrible it is and then I send it to him and he's like oh that's all right man and then we don't ever like listen to it again yeah. you know it's no one went and just kind of be like right yeah. okay I'm gonna I'm at a good place. Fire it off to mm. get some another pair of ears on it, and and then fire it back. And it's getting that perspective. I guess it definitely helps, but you never know yeah. when it's yeah. finished. 
your ears kind of tend to go like kind of numb when you've spent too long on a song you know you just kind of you become kind of like deaf to kind of like what's good and what's not so sometimes it's just good if, like i think we've both been in situations where we've wrote a song come away from it went back to it the following night sat down and listened to it and said oh my god that sounds terrible or you know that's not what it sounded like to me last night or sometimes you'll go back to something that sounded not so great but you listen back to it you know that was actually pretty good it's just about kind of knowing your limitations you know and being open to kind of help like i've got like three or four people i know in other bands i i'll send demos to and say like you know what do you think what do you think i should do where should i go with this you know just to kind of get people you trust like their opinion and it's good that me and dale obviously work kind of although we work together like in terms of writing we do work apart so you can bounce stuff back and forth you know yeah you get that independent second pair of ears rather than you know if you're in the same room sometimes you could play a demo in the same room and then everyone's a little bit kind of like too awkward to say well too awkward to say anything it's kind of like oh should i really you know it's that kind of awkward part i guess i mean maybe me and harry are probably not in that position but i'd like to think we'd be able to tell each other even in the same room if it was crap or not but yeah i suppose in some situations you you do kind of like having that that space between us sending it you know 400 miles and 400 miles back really helps from that point of view like you really could get your own sort of spin on the other person's idea which is which is quite good at what point did you you were saying that you, you know you're really honest with each other at what point did you kind of achieve that level of honesty and at what point did that start and you reached quite early on i'd say it's Just, almost day one even yeah, to be honest i mean because we're, we're both kind of i think we're both grown men i don't think we're really yeah, yeah. There's just no, there's no egos when it comes to that thing. It's yeah. like if it's just whatever's good. If it sounds terrible, it sounds terrible, regardless yeah. of who's done it. It's never um, really been an issue. I never really, never even really thought about it. To be honest, it's just no, 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 nope, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I was gonna ask, what was the first show you guys went to together? Was it Jaguar Ma at the Liquid Rooms or was it LCD? At the bars? Jaguar Ma, I think, was before LCD. Jaguar Ma was. They were touring in 2016, were they not? Yeah, you went to see them in Glasgow the night before, and then I went to see them in Edinburgh, and you were there as well. And then we went, we just hung yeah, out. I was going mad for it. No, I'm sure we must have went to some in like you maybe when we played in like the old band, like we would have you know, like seen bands together. Like, but that's just like kind of your contemporary, so I guess that doesn't really count. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, obviously seen local bands and stuff like that. Yeah, together, like we're obviously we've been to gigs together, but like not together. Like you knew Dale was there. Or, or well, we seen we went to see the Ninth Wave actually. Yeah, Did you not go to the ninth wave as well? Yeah, we were both we would have both been there, but like just having a pint or something, but like, but actually going like out of town together, yeah, you know, like and getting a hotel and stuff and yeah, and spending the night going to uh, like see yeah a, a big touring band or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it was Jaguar Man. I always find it weird when you look back on gigs. You know, when you're pals before, can you suddenly realise all the gigs that you've been at together, but you'd never actually you probably you know pass each other at the bar, but you didn't know that person until like two years on. That's yeah. mental, yeah, when you think about it like that. I've done these such a small city, though. That's kind of, that's the thing. Same with Glasgow as well. I mean, yeah, I mean, although the Scottish, you know, music scene is really flourishing at the minute, it does still feel very tight-knit. You know, everybody knows each other. Yeah, yeah I'd say so. You know, it's small to an extent, which is kind of th- one of the nice things about it as well is that you get that kind of communal atmosphere. It doesn't feel like a big imposing thing once you're kind of no. yeah. part of it. It's kind of just everyone knows everyone and everyone kind of gets along to a certain yeah. I, I guess I guess that's the little bit of the kind of glass ceiling though you've kind of got in Scotland it's like getting to that stage where mm-hmm. you know people are actually take notice of that and then 
then where's there, the it, there is especially being not from Glasgow if you're not from Glasgow then it's very difficult to get into that scene we've been pretty lucky I think um, from that point of view but because we focused from like day one we focused it wasn't like oh we got to crack Glasgow anything cringy like that it was just like let's go and play through there more let's make that more of like the hometown show where we go and play there you know once every two months rather than Dundee you know we went through there everyone was lovely to us and then we could pull the crowd through there and it was that and it was just about after that what do you do where do you go from there it's like trying to find the next thing I think you guys though are kind of in the, the nice position where you know of two hometowns though I think that's the thing that maybe the, the, maybe the slightly negative aspect to that scene obviously you know, it's a very positive thing but the negative aspect is that bands who are really big in Glasgow then struggle to be big anywhere else yeah. whereas you guys are kind of you do well in Glasgow you can you know sell out a show in Dundee I think you guys did you did alright in Aberdeen as well I had a few pals at that show that said it was pretty busy uh, yeah uh, the one with the Rude yeah, that yeah. was that yeah. was jumping. Yeah, that was a good show. We're, we can definitely pull the crowd down in London. Dundee's, oh, Dundee's Dundee. Uh, it's one of those ones where we we got a bit of flack, I think, early on because, like Harry said, we think we focused a lot on playing in Glasgow. It's just because the opportunities that we got at the time, I think, were we got to the opportunity to sport bigger bands, um, and they just happened to be playing in Glasgow and not in and not in Dundee. And I suppose Glasgow was the place where you had to kind of win over the fans and, and kind of get into that kind of, you know, to get on the radar of like see your tenement TVs and all your little yeah. blogs and stuff that would like kind of like the feeders for, I suppose, sort of the main the mainstream sort of media yeah. and, and things like that. And that's kind of how it started. But at the same token, you got a bit of flack from that early on, but like you couldn't you couldn't play a show we couldn't play a show once a month in Dundee and and expect there to be you know either a sellout or even you probably wouldn't even expect to sell half the tickets if you were playing something fairly regularly in a, in Dundee although as great as Dundee is and you know I suppose the Dundee music scene's definitely a lot better than what it was it's still like you you couldn't play it that regularly and maintain the, the problem is with Dundee is that it is such a small city that like even if you're playing there twice a year, you're playing to the same people. Unless you're like trying to like move on to another crowd, and like fair enough if you want to play Dundee every month. But you're, how many people is there, you know, that are going to be? Oh, it's next month it's a totally different crowd, you know. And you want to just play the same set, the same songs, to the same people. It's it's then you're just essentially a, like a clubby band. I mean that's great if you want to do that. I'm in no way disrespecting that, but we wanted to try and keep playing to different people all the time. I think I've kind of accepted when we go back to play Dundee as you know predominantly it's a hometown show so you're playing to like friends and family and a few people that you know are into the band but it's a bit more i get more of an adrenaline rush when i'm playing it like you don't recognize anybody in the crowd you know because you can get a bit lost in it i find it more nerve-wracking playing to folk i know though than oh, yeah. folk oh, yeah, don't. big time big time like you get i suppose like you had said, you get a bit of an adrenaline rush for playing in front of folk you don't know because you're like Ooh, you know but then the opposite's true i suppose you just kind of feel that kind of oh man the expectation of having to play a decent show in front of your mum and dad or whatever is like pretty intense <laughs> yeah because you can kind of be like someone you're not when you're playing when we're like i think when we're playing like you know, like the jungle show or we're supporting a band that are like bigger than us you know you're playing in front of people that don't know who you are don't care who you are so you get to kind of just be somebody else you know get lost in it and kind of play up to being in a band whereas when you're playing to like your mates or <laughs> you know <laughs> your mum and dad you can't really um there's my cat's having a fight um you can't really <laughs> Um, sorry, I've totally lost my train of thought. Sorry. <laughs> I think my two cats are fighting. Uh, but yeah, when you're playing to your like family, you can't really be. You look like a twat if you do that. So. Yeah, 
when was the uh, when was the first time you noticed you know people in a crowd that you didn't you, you know you didn't know oh man there's our second sh- our second show was was supporting medicine men in glasgow and i didn't know a oh. single person there i knew ian and i'd met him like two weeks before <laughs> that was it which is mental really so it was pretty nerve-wracking actually and I think we supported, we not support Man and Moon on their comeback gig not long after that. Yeah, that was a big show for them. They came back and I don't know how we ended up getting that support slot. Uh, you know, they pulled in a huge crowd and then we were playing to people who were like, I think at that time Man and Moon were doing kind of heavier stuff. So for us doing what we were doing, you know, in front of a crowd like that and to win them over was, you know, really exciting. We got a big adrenaline rush from that. That was, that was probably the first one when you're like, oh, this is cool. I like this. I want more of this. I mean, you were speaking a wee bit just to, you know, that we were talking about that focus that you had at the beginning of, you know, wanting to break into Glasgow and kind of seeing that as a place that you could establish maybe more as the home city, so you were playing to different folk more often. I mean, that kind of culminated earlier this year when you did that King Touch show. When you've got a show like that, how, I mean, I'm interested, what's your mindset going in? Because I imagine when you're at a King Touch headline, you want to make that show a special show. What sort of stuff are you doing to ensure that happens? I think we just did, like, songs that were, like, reimagined versions of songs but just for that show so it was like that's only the only time we'll play it like that is that show and we brought back a couple of old ones that we never really play for that show but then you know you look back at it in hindsight and you're like oh god i should have made it more of an event you know we should have got some fancy lights or something i guess as well as we're going to say doing that where you've turned those different versions it helps to make it this more individualist individualistic you know experience when everything is kind of filmed and uploaded online to do that thing that you're only going to do once is kind of quite a nice thing yeah totally what would you do what do you, what do you think yeah i mean that, that's the similar so I, I mean I, i'm trying to think i'm just racking my brains to think if there was anything specific we did differently but apart from like what harry said kind of reimagined a couple of the songs added some maybe some bits into the songs that weren't there before and took some bits out that we didn't like from previous shows and we kind of spent a lot of time actually working on the live set for that particular show um that I guess the uh, prior to the show, the kind of the whole like visual element was just kind of like, right. We're going to have to then, you know, we obviously knew King Tut's had the light show every, anyway, so we were like, well, we were able to get that synced up to our drums and stuff like that as it, as it is normally. So we were kind of we we're kind of fine from that aspect, and that's kind of the way we we got the smoke <laughs> and stuff, got the the red lights, I think we've- got it dimmed, so you know, we got we got it there or thereabouts. That was the first time we played. Um- what would go on to become this EP? We played uh, like I had you wrong for the first time, which you know, and then we played Hideaway. I think there was a few other ones we had never played live before, and that was the first time they got played, and they went down. And that was when I started kind of, we started thinking, right, we should maybe release an EP. Yeah, and yeah, it was actually well, it was yeah, it was kind of just before we had the tracks and we were kind of labeling it as an EP, but never actually really had much of a, an intention of actually releasing it as an EP um, until I suppose that night when we thought actually people are actually digging these new songs probably more so than the previous ones they're a little bit more mm-hmm. upbeat a little bit dancier and we thought you know what actually we, 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 let's just let's just release them all and see how we get on and yeah here we are so what is your what's your live set now because I mean, I mean when you look at all the stuff you've got out you've got quite a plentiful kind of back catalogue accumulating how do you do you play everything I mean, we've got everything like set to up to play to a degree. There, yeah. I don't know how we pick the tracks now. I think it's just whatever we're digging at the time. If we're put in a particular track or whatever, or, or if Harry's, um, like it's usually like, I just want to get this clear. It's like 90% of 
the reworks live is 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 definitely Harry. And you'll come back to me and be like, oh, I've, I've just I've tried this version of like you know this song. I'm like, oh, cool. Let's let's hear that. And I was like, actually, that's pretty cool. Let's just play that this time. So then that's kind of how it usually kind of um, how we build our sets. It's just kind of right. Okay, what are what do we like playing? And then what have we kind of worked on over the last couple of months that we could add in? And then and it's just a bit of combination of those that we kind of stick in our sets. Everything's good to go if you want to like play certain songs. Like we played Dundee um, just before the lockdown, and we uh, we were waiting to come off stage because we dro- recently dropped Adlib, and then people were kind of wanting us to play that. So we ended up just doing that as an encore. Just you know, good to go. But everything's there. I mean, sometimes we'll just depending on the mood or how you know how the crowd's going, we'll play a certain song. We might not play a song. You know. If you're playing to like barely anyone on the dance floor, sometimes it's kind of like maybe we shouldn't play this total banger. It might be a bit, a bit ridiculous. But yeah, no, it's good. It's like totally up for, you know, improvisation. I guess. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I mean, I could see us even on the night we had a set list drawn up. But I've seen me going to Harry or vice versa and be like, I think we should just drop this one tonight, or I think we should add this one here instead, and then we've changed the set. You know, halfway through the set, so mm-hmm. that happens as well. So we need to have kind of all the songs ready to go and practice so that the, you know, dependent, we kind of, we could almost play to the crowd a little bit too and what they seem to be vibing on, be like, yeah. try it and match, you know, kind of work it that way too. Have a rough idea what the set's going to be and then, yeah, make it fluid enough that we could add in a song and take a song out where we need to. It's definitely kind of inspired a wee bit from like DJing and stuff because we're trying to like read the dance floor a bit more. I guess it's, it's a bit of a bummer for people that have come to our shows <laughs> and want to hear a certain song. Like we had a lot of people who were a bit upset that we never played another Mad Crab for about six months, but oh yeah, that was brutal, eh? We had yeah, so many people coming up to really us at the end of the that. show, and was like that song tanked. You know, it's just appealing to like two people. <laughs> but that but, two that those two people came to every show for like six yeah. months and never heard that song. So all our, all our stands. Yeah, it's like completely. It just depends on how you're feeling, I guess, on the night. You mentioned uh, your DJ set having kind of like an influence upon upon it a wee bit there. What's your kind of regular features in that? What makes it into a bit with DJ set? Having like no idea what we're doing. <laughs> oh, oh mate, that is that is like the basically the motto to the band. Yeah, no, I no am. idea what we're doing. I was DJing before Confidence Man when I was <laughs> in Scotland, and it was like I just was so bad, but I managed That's to like a big show. Yeah, man, it was it was like sold out. It was huge. I was like freak it when it when I couldn't like our decks are so bad, and I was like trying to like like mix like i had the two channels on and i was like listening to mix and it wouldn't sync with like on the beat with the other one and i was like trying to do it and i was like it was getting like 30 minutes left 30 seconds left of the song and i looked up and there was like the whole of st luke's was packed like up on the stairs and everything and i was like oh for god's sake like freaking out so i had to just wing it with extensive use of delay yeah salvaged it but we're not we're we're no way whatsoever good DJ. you need to you need to you need to add the the bit at the end what happened at the end of that dj set no no i'd rather not <laughs> <laughs> I fell off stage and sprained my ankle. So, yeah, he thought he broke. He thought he broke his ankle at the end of the show, and he was like yeah. hobbling for weeks. And he threatened to to do the next like three or four shows, like sitting down at a chair. And it was actually just before we were playing Jungle, uh, the Jungle Show. And uh, he said to 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 all of us in the group, he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna have to. I, I can't stand for like any more than five ten minutes. Like I'm in so much pain." And I was like. And then Alan was the first person that come back and said, you're not fucking sitting down for the jungle show. And then he's like, for fuck's sake. Oh, we're going to do a Kurt Cobain and like wheel me out in a, in a wheelchair. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That was horrible. <laughs> yeah, good memories, I guess. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.